Hello, my beautiful, beautiful souls. I want to start today off by asking you a simple but possibly not easy question. And that question is, how many times do you feel you come head on with a decision to either continue doing something that once served you most likely and no longer does serve you or let go of this thing? How many times do you face this decision where you either keep doing the thing, you keep dating the person, you keep going to the same workout class, you keep running your business the same way because it once served you, so you, you continue to do it, or you realize you no longer enjoy doing the thing and it's time to move on. How many times do you feel you are faced with this decision and how does it make you feel? when you are faced with this decision? Do you feel inspired? Do you feel excited? Like, yes, it's time to move on. It's time for the new thing I love to do. It's time to explore and evolve and change and grow. New business ideas, new business platform, new friends, new workout class. Or are you like, oh crap, I don't like this thing I used to love. I'm no longer the fit chick my friends always have seen me as. I don't want to do one-on-one coaching anymore. I don't want to run retreats anymore. Oh no, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. I don't want to read nonfiction lectures or autobiographies anymore, whatever's coming up for you. But I think there comes this time for so many of us, and I would say like on a daily basis almost, because every day is different, but then on a seasonal basis, especially where we go through seasons in life and maybe a relationship works really well for us, for both of us, and it's fluid and beautiful and lovely, and then you outgrow it. Or maybe it's a career or a job or a path or a style of reading or an activity you do. Maybe once you were like all on fire about pottery, now you don't really like pottery anymore, but you keep doing it because you think you should because you're good at it. So our guest today is really focused and excited and driven around this conversation on quitting. And yeah, she wants to just totally embrace and adopt the word quitting, not tiptoe around it and say just moving on or letting go, but she wants to outright normalize the word quitting. Dr. Lynn Marie Morsky is a quitting evangelist. She helps people to and through their quits through her book, Quitting by Design, and her podcast, Quit Happens, along with speaking and coaching. She is also a board-certified physician in family medicine and sports medicine, currently working at the Veterans Administration. In addition, she is attorney and a former adjunct law professor at Thomas Jefferson School of Law. When not doctoring, lawyering, or preaching the gospel of strategic quitting, Lynn Marie can be found doing yoga, playing multiple musical instruments, awesome, and dancing like everyone's watching. I love it, and I loved our conversation. We talk about the the prison that debt can keep you in. We talk about what's realistic and what is not realistic when you have a lot of debt. We talk about uh, letting yourself, especially around activities, letting yourself move from activity to the next activity. Like we talk about fitness and stuff that once worked for us and how we no longer enjoyed it. Talk about money and passions and all the things. So I think you are in for a real treat. Like this conversation unfolded in a way that totally lit me up. So I think you're going to enjoy it. The only other piece of insight that I want to share and I'm very excited to share is that the year of 2019 is going to be 
the year of retreats for my business and for me. And a lot of my focus and love and attention and time is going into the retreats that I've been building over the past several years. And I know many of you have been tuning into the podcast and have heard about these retreats. And a lot of times people will reach out to me and say, this is the year I want to go to a retreat. I've been hearing about it for a while. I have questions. I'm excited. And I love being able to share with you what goes on in these retreats. So I'm going to go into this interview very soon, but I do want to share with you a little bit about one of the things that I've seen come up time and time again of the why, why people decide to attend a retreat. So retreats are experiences. They are not just two days. It's not just two days. It's not just a week. It's not the time spent. It's what happens during that time. One of the things that I see over and over is that a lot of the women that come to my retreats in particular is that they are deep, soulful women. They're empaths. They're sensitive. And maybe this world has told them not to be sensitive. And so they're learning how to come back to their sensitivity and they don't want to do it alone. That's one of the biggest things that I hear time and time again is I don't feel that I'm connecting with my community in the way I want to connect. I want to go deeper. I want to have those powerful conversations. I want to go there. I want to be in a room of women who are working on themselves, loving themselves. I want to have meals with them and do movement with them and feel feel my own pleasure and my own feminine body with them. And I want to embrace who I am inside and out. And I want to receive inspiration for what's next in my life. That's another theme is this evolution of souls and a craving to know what's next and thinking that retreats maybe a retreat will give you that insight and inspiration and without a doubt I've seen this at every single one each individual as woman has walked away with inspiration on what's next maybe what's next is moving to a city a new city maybe what's next is quitting their job maybe what's next is creating a blog or a website or hosting their own workshops um, speaking their truth and helping others heal trauma, become life coaches themselves. I've seen everything. I've seen people end up being roommates. I've seen groups of retreaters go on annual trips together or plan Zoom calls, Skype calls, texting back and forth every day. I have seen best friends form at each retreat. It's incredible. And and I think if if you are someone who has struggled with feeling like you are a feminine creature who's not embracing that side of yourself you've been living in this harsh world you've been living in a world that's told you to turn it off to turn away to go faster hustle more you've been possibly raised to feel disconnected from your fellow sisters and there's competition if you're ready to change all that and you want to have an experience where you're deeply held and deeply guided and you can just truly let go of everything and just enjoy the experience and walk away from it feeling revived, restored, expressive, um, explorative. If you want all of that, then I urge you and invite you to go apply to one of my retreats. Go to maddiemoon.com events. You will see that you can apply there and me and you will have a conversation. We'll slow down. We'll get to know each other and I'll share more about my retreats with you options what's possible but if you have this desire please I urge you I invite you to not ignore it there is no harm in reaching out there's no harm in a conversation in fact it may lead somewhere that your um, I would say inner mean girl says it won't lead 
And so I invite you to listen to the voice, the whisper most likely that says, hey, give it a shot, reach out, let's see, let's see what's possible. What is this retreat thing all about? Because I am here, this is my focus for 2019 and I would love to have anyone who feels this inkling, even if it's just a tiny quiet voice that says maybe, maybe this can help me or maybe this will serve me or maybe this will be that next step. If you have that inkling or that whisper, reach out, apply and let's see where it goes. Without further ado, let's head on over to this amazing show all about quitting. See you there. You are now entering the Mind Body Musings podcast. If you find yourself hungry for growth, eager for inspiration, and longing for self-improvement, welcome home. Hosted by motivational speaker and life coach Maddie Moon, you can be certain you will learn how to change your life in magical ways in each and every episode. Are you ready to stop caring what other people think? Is it time you break limiting beliefs and empower your whole being? Do you know how to use the one life you've been given to the absolute fullest? Join Maddie Moon and her inspirational guests every Wednesday for the life altering discussions on freedom, vulnerability, abundance, and so much more. For more insight, grab your free gift on MaddieMoon.com and uncover your own once-in-a-lifetime greatness within. If you have kind words to say, feel free to leave a review on the show in iTunes or send your favorite episode to a friend. We look forward to hearing your insights and growing together in unexpected ways. And now, without further ado, here's your host, Maddie Moon. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mind Body Musings podcast. We're here with lucky episode number 234. I love that number. And what better way to celebrate than with Dr. Lynn Marie Morski, who is an expert on quitting. And I feel like in some way, um, maybe not all of us are an expert in quitting, but in some way or another, we've all been quitting in our lives. But it is not being seen as something to celebrate and to adopt and to reframe and be excited about. And so this this um, conversation around being a lifelong quitter, I find it so fascinating. And if only more people in this world would embrace the art of quitting, I think a lot of us would be happier and more in flow. That's what the show is all about, is living your life in flow. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lynn Marie Morski. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Okay, I first wanted to ask you, we have a mutual friend, and I was really curious on how y'all first connected and got to know each other. So how do you know um, Josh Trent? Well, even though we live in the same city, I love telling the story because we met via a Facebook group for Aura Ring users, this biotracking ring. And I had, I had put a post that said, how do you increase heart rate variability, which is a matter of measure of readiness. And people were commenting like, okay, red light therapy, don't eat right before bed. And good old Josh Trent comments, cuddling and sex are great for increasing mm -hmm. heart rate variability. And I wrote back just when I had come to terms with my singleness, you tell me it's killing me. And then he, then I got a friend request from Josh Trent. And, and it was just ever since then, he's been a great podcast mentor and, and buddy and friend. And, and I adore him. Oh, wow. I had no idea that the story was that adorable. I love that. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were going to say like, oh, you know, we were at a boot camp, something like some workshop we met and that was really cute and unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. He's a yeah. yeah. He totally is. He's yes. Hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. <laughs> so the first thing I want to ask you on the show is right now, what are you currently musing about? I'm currently musing about the 
period of time, how to best get through the period of time that I think a lot of entrepreneurs get to where we know we need to quit parts of what we're doing, but it's hard to quit those things and find adequate help. And for example, like if you're doing it all as a solopreneur and you're like, okay, this is a time where I realize that my health might be suffering or, or my social life or whatever, I need to quit parts of it. But there's this transition period where you have to find the right help. And it's a difficult period because you're stacking, like, I know I need to quit with the, I can't yet quit. And I'm trying to find, a, trying to find help to quit. And I'm just I'm working with different ways to make that transition period easier. Okay, if I can't quit the, the search for help, what other parts of, of my life can I maybe scale back on so there's more space for that and I'm not running myself rampant? Oh, yeah. And, and I, I love when I'm speaking with someone on the podcast and especially like I can always dive deep into this conversation because I think quitting is so important, but it, it's no coincidence that there's something I'm absolutely wouldn't say quite quitting in my life, but in some way or another, you can look at it like that. Like anytime I'm scaling back on something or you're scaling back on something, it can be seen as quitting. And um, this conversation that you're bringing up around seeking help. Yeah, it's so important. And there's this part, I think, of all of us that are like, well, I can just, I don't, it's not that bad. I can figure it out on my own. But I notice, and I'm, I'm curious if you notice this as well, we might have this deep down belief of like, if I want to quit something, I can, I can do it. But oftentimes it doesn't happen and we keep pushing off and pushing off and pushing off seeking help because that in itself feels very overwhelming. And for people who aren't quite used to investing in themselves, that might be confronting if you have to invest in some help, put down money to get a game plan. Yes. Like with, yes. with therapy or with coaching or with counseling, whatever it may be. But I've I've noticed that in my own life, a lot of times getting help as an adult, it also means investing, like getting consulting or getting coaching in some way. And yes. I love that you're talking about this and the importance of getting help. It just makes the game plan so, um, so much more fluid to have this outside perspective of the how. Definitely. And I love how you phrased it as an investment because you could see it as I'm paying for help. And then it just seems like money is running out of my bank account. But you are truly investing in yourself, in your business, in your health. Like the holidays are a rough time. We're recording this in December. Everybody's all stressed out trying to do 40 things at once, go to 15 holiday parties and still get their, you know, keep their business running. And there's only so much of you to go around. And so you can either lose your sanity or you can as you said, invest in getting some help so that you can keep yourself on a nice even keel, keep yourself mentally and physically healthy. And you're also contributing to the to the work environment. Other people are happy to help you with those things for money. So you're investing, you're investing in your society. It's all just a mindset shift to make it seem slightly less frightening, like, oh, I've got to pour a bunch of money into this thing. No, it's an investment. Yes. Yeah. I, I love that word as well. And that's really the only way I see this now. I'm not paying for someone else. Like if I'm hiring someone to help me create a game plan, I'm not paying really for them. I'm paying for my own dreams and yes. saying it's like a way that I say I'm very serious about this transition in my life. I'm very serious about it. And I want it to be smooth and I want to have um, help. And and I'm also I'm, I'm curious, do you are you excited about the conversation around the feminine and masculine at all? It's it's very intriguing to me. It's the the part that doesn't excite me is the everybody's got their kind of guard up portion of it. Like 
uh, I'm afraid to say this thing because women might say this. I'm afraid to say this, but because men might say this, but I love the fact that now we are talking. So Mm -hmm. as long as it's staying in the more kind of genial arena and, and people aren't so I've picked a side and it's women now or men now, as long as people can understand that we're all in this together and we're trying to have this collaborative conversation, then I love hearing perspectives because now finally guys are like, okay, let me tell you from my perspective. And women feel like, okay, it's okay to share my perspective. And I think for a long time, we felt kind of suffocated. We could only tell, women could only talk to girls about our perspective and men could only talk to guys. And I just love that now I get, we all get to share. Yeah. And I see, I think that's what the feminine masculine is. It's exactly what you're saying. There's a difference between feminism and and feminine energy. It's very different. And, um, what I was thinking in regards to quitting, I think it can just this conversation can be pulled into so many areas. But in order for us to be in our feminine, the feminine is like energy and chaos and ups and downs and all the flows of everything and yeah. ideas, like all the ideas spread out of like what I want to do and I want to quit, but I don't know how. Like if you want to fully embrace that part of you, the adventurous, creative, what's next part of you, it's so important to have someone else holding that container for you and all your craziness so that they can help unpack it from that perspective of structure. Because when we're in the phase of creativity, like we don't want to have all the structure. It's kind of limiting. And so that's why it's really helpful to have someone else create that for you and like pull, like rein it on in and like help you create some sort of plan so that you are allowed to be free and wild in that creative aspect of a quit. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I am fascinated by how when my fem- feminine and when my masculine appears in this, for example, I'm in that very, very same period I talked about where struggling, like I know I need to quit parts of this and I need to hand them off, but I'm still in the who do I hand off to period. And there's so much masculine that has to go on in there with the organization of, of okay, interviewing the people and, and hiring them and what who does what, that at the end of the day, I'm like, can I just dance a little bit and can just kind of shake yeah. that off and balance things out? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. And that's something we should like definitely talk about at some point. But I want to go into your story. I want to hear about you becoming a doctor and, and some of the um, the quits that happened to get to where you are today doing podcasting. And, and, you know, I don't even know all that you do. It feels like you do a lot of things. So I just want to hear more about you and what you're up to and how you got here. Okay. Well, the story best starts when I was 20 and I was a multimedia designer back in St. Louis, Missouri. And I realized that I wasn't loving it. And I thought maybe it's because I'm not good at it. I'll just go take some classes. I'll get better at it. And I went to a JavaScript class and I was miserable the first hour there. And something during the lunch break that day hit me. If you're miserable in the first hour of the class that's going to take you to try to get better at this job that you have, something has gone terribly wrong. And I had started as a, like I was a video editing major in college and it kind of morphed into multimedia, but multimedia got very Cody very quickly and I was not a coder. And so I thought, Oh my goodness, like now I'm in this field. I don't have another backup. I don't really want to do video editing. Where do I go from here? And I, I went straight to like the drawing board. Do I want to be a florist? Do I want to be a dog catcher? I, I had, there was no parameters. This is like anything that I thought of, I put it on the page. And 
my brother and I realized at the same time, okay, our parents do not have a big retirement fund and I wasn't making a lot of money and my brother was working at the West End or something. And so he's like, okay, we've got to make a plan. And so that was all about the same time where it was factoring into my decision. I thought, okay, I need something that's going to be intellectually stimulating, that's going to have a secure future and maybe that could help me move out of St. Louis. And medicine had all of those aspects to it. And I thought, well, okay, I don't want to make a quote unquote bad decision twice. So I better know exactly what field I'm getting into before I embark on trying to get into medical school and doing all that. And I looked at all the fields in medicine and none of them sounded exciting except for sports medicine because I'm a dancer. And I thought, okay, sports medicine is kind of like dance medicine. And so I decided at one day, okay, sports medicine is the dream job for me. And then head down, I go and I do pre-med because I hadn't taken any pre-med classes. Pre-med, I get into med school and then I do residency and fellowship the entire time, not enjoying any of it, just thinking when I get to sports medicine, I will love it. And I got to sports medicine and I didn't. And so I had spent a decade and a quarter million dollars in investment. Yes, it was an investment. And suddenly I wasn't any happier than I was in multimedia. And so then it was again, oh my gosh, what do I do? And that was essentially where the second set of quits came in is, okay, I'm going to have to quit whatever parts of sports medicine aren't working so that I can make a career out of what I do like. And so I was like, I don't want call. I don't want to have to write prescriptions. I don't want to be working nights and weekends like I was doing sports medicine, standing around at football games and, and that kind of thing. And so I found a job that I make my own schedule working 10 hours a week doing exams for the VA. And at which point I had time to go to law school. So then I did that and I got a law degree. And after that, I was in a startup and then the startup life wasn't for me. And I had to strategically quit that. And so time after time, I just found ways to strategically quit whatever wasn't working for me so that I could continue to carve out a path of things that would. And the story goes on from there a little bit to how I got to the podcasting, but I'll stop and take a breath here. <laughs> Oh my God. First off, you're so smart. Like what? you are so smart. You have must like use, you, most people use 10% of their brain. I imagine you use like 20 or 25% of your brain because I can't even imagine like going through all of that. I was in, Eng not that I'm putting myself down. I'm just like really wanting to admire you and acknowledge you for this because that is so much work. And like, I'm thinking about you investing, like going back to this investing word, going into um, being being pre-med and then getting your law degree and like investing, investing. Like, did you ever have any money fears come up whenever you were making those decisions or did it feel like a no-brainer? Oh, big time. Because I was definitely born into the scarcity mindset. We are from a small town in Southern Illinois. We did not have money. Again, as you heard as part of my story, my brother and I needed to find careers that would help if our parents needed it. And so money was a, an issue from the onset. But at the onset, I didn't have debt. And when I talked to my father about going to medical school, I mean, medical school is so expensive. And I distinctly remember him saying, you have to spend money to make money. And this is from a guy who barely ever made money. Let's be honest, mm -hmm. like Southern Illinois, he was a land surveyor, had the family business. We were not rolling in cash. And so it was kind of one of those things where I thought to myself, like, I'm not sure if he's the person I want to take this advice from, but I also know that I really want to be a doctor and you have, like, I didn't have $250,000 sitting around. So I had to take out these loans. So it continues to be, and I'll be very honest about this, a theme in my life, these loans, because once you have them, I haven't suddenly made $250,000 where I can pay them off. And especially the lifestyle I have chosen, I, I, I just work enough. I don't work so much that I can pay them off anytime soon. And so they just sit there as kind of a little 
ball and chain, uh, you know, financial ball and chain that I can't like just go leave the country and be a digital nomad in Bali. Like the government will come after me for this money at some point. If I died, they would come after anybody else that seemed quasi related to me. So for sure that once I made that first decision, unfortunately, then finances has been the one thing that you just can't walk away from once you've done that. So I'm I'm very cautious in in counseling people when they talk about, okay, I want to go back to school. If they're thinking about a career quit, I'm like, don't do it just as a way to change careers. Do it very intentionally and purposefully because that is a lot of money and it doesn't magically pay itself off when you get this new career. Thank you for being honest about that. I already have a very strong feeling this is going to be a podcast I refer my clients to because there is one particular theme I've seen come up in a couple of my clients lives and I'm going to be very specific about this because I think you'd be the exact person that they'd want to hear from and your thoughts on this but I have worked with very like incredibly smart women and they have gone to school and they get masters they get degrees and then some I've had people have debt from a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand to three hundred thousand and then I have some people some clients with debt that's thirty thousand or fifty thousand and debt is I will be honest in my own story not something I've ever really experienced I've never been in debt My parents paid for my college. I'm very fortunate and very privileged in that way. I just got an undergrad and then from there I kind of took off with like creating something of my own. And I never really got into debt and taking that kind of investment. So in this area, I don't have my own personal experience to, to help with it of the feeling of debt being the decision maker in all of your choices. So that's something that I've heard multiple times is, like you just said, I can't pick up and go travel and and I have all this debt, but it goes even into a in a smaller micro level of, well, I don't want to go on dates or I don't want to spend money on coffee. I don't want to um, ever switch jobs, like just a very... F- I don't want to say fear-based because it's very real. And I feel like saying fear-based is me disregarding the realness of all of that. Right, right. So I'm, I'm, I don't know exactly what my question is, but I'm just wondering how can you have the debt, pay off the debt, like you said, without working to yourself into oblivion, just paying it off day by day, just not going crazy, but not being a prisoner to your debt and, and being, I guess, the, a part of it that I'm asking is, having an okay mindset of that I can't go pick up and be a digital nomad in Bali and I'm not I'm not a restricted or limited because of that choice and I'm sovereign in that choice I will not do that but I'm also not a prisoner to it does all this make sense it totally does it totally does and I very much appreciate the question it's something I don't think I've ever discussed before so I I knew this was going to go interesting ways um it's exactly like you alluded to which is I essentially have had to make peace with my debt. And in the making peace with it, let me tell you very honestly that I have seen the facts and by the end of the, let's say 30 years that I will have paid it off, my $250,000 is going to be more like 410,000 with all the interest. And so to know that the fact that I'm paying it off slowly is costing me essentially you know, another almost quarter million dollars is a little difficult pill to swallow, But the trade-off is that I see people, my own colleagues, who want to pay their debts off so quickly and so rapidly, and they want that so badly, that they are taking jobs at prisons or doing things that I would never consider doing just to get that ball and chain away. And that's just their decision versus mine. And 
people say to me, because in my job, I work 10 hours a week and I could work more. There is a salary cap that's not too much higher from what I'm making. But there was a period of time where I could have probably worked 40 hours, made double my salary. And everybody said to me, why aren't you doing this? You could pay your loans off. And I said, because if I did that for, say, six months and I pay off the loans and the day after that's done, I develop a terminal cancer. And I've got three months to live. Is that how I wanted to spend the last six months of my life? No. Because that would have just been the entire period of time dedicated to paying off something that like, you know, I may or may never ever see, you know, if I do have a cancer in five years, you know, heaven forbid, like I would never have to pay off the rest of that anyway. I don't have any kids. There's nobody else who they really can come after, I don't think. And um, maybe my my poor parents, but but I would never want to trade off entire chunks of my life just to get rid of that ball and chain. I'd much rather just make peace with it, know it's there, know that, yeah, I have to make a little bit more money than the average person, but I have to continuously be grateful for the fact that it has given me a lot of opportunities. I wouldn't be able to work just 10 hours a week on, in most jobs and make what I make without that investment. Mm. This angle of health is so crucial because like the people that I just mentioned that I've worked with, like they're vibrant, they're happy. And yet this is something that creates immense amounts of anxiety and um, insomnia. And like, I think I'm pretty sure this has led to um, like PCOS, like just the immense amount of stress and the way that they have to cope with it. Maybe it's through like they're so anxious that they're not eating yeah. and then their period goes and then they're having issues with their hormones. Like this can ripple off into so many areas. And for what? For a debt? For like yeah, this number? Exactly. Like numbers. <laughs> oh my God. Numbers have so many mysterious ways of controlling our lives. Like God, yes. numbers, Instagram followers, calories right. we've eaten, calories we've burned, like money we have, money we don't have. Oh, yeah. and your, your perspective here is just so refreshing. And it's easy for me to say like, that's how I think too. But like, since I don't have this, I can't say that yet. This is still something I, f I feel very deeply that I would be on this side. I would be on this team. You know, like I said, I haven't experienced it, but I would much rather look at life with the uh, constant remembrance of mortality. Mortality is a thing. We only have so much time here on this planet. Do we want to spend all of our waking hours being controlled by debt and numbers yes. yes yeah I've definitely chosen no right. <laughs> there's that is you as you mentioned before when I decided to leave multimedia and go into medicine I made an investment and some people see that investment there as as a reason to stay in a thing that they're unhappy in I could have then then said oh I invested this much now I have to stay in multimedia or else that time and money that I invested mm -hmm. is wasted. And that's a huge part of quitting mm -hmm. is getting people over that sunk cost fallacy because I didn't invest in becoming a sports medicine doctor. I invested in having a career that I like. And when mm -hmm. I got to sports medicine and it wasn't a career that I like, that doesn't mean that that investment is wasted. That investment was spent on finding out what I don't like and getting me a nice, great backup career while I figure out what I do. And oh it's God. a big mindset shift for people to realize, like, do not get stuck by this debt, no matter what you, in, like how you incurred it. That doesn't mean you have to stay in that thing either. That was huge. If anyone was like busy doing stuff and you missed that, you need to go back. <laughs> like that was a really, really important nugget there is that you are not investing in that career. You are investing in a career you love and it helped you figure out 
that that wasn't it. And I think like that can be applied to relationships where you didn't invest two years in that person. You invested two years in a relationship that you love. And that relationship led you to a different relationship or will lead you to a different relationship if you allow it to evolve. So going off of that, I just I want to ask you, why do you think our society glorifies finality and permanence and doing something forever, even if it means having a bad job or being in a um, unfruitful marriage rather than letting it evolve, letting it grow, letting go of something like acknowledging the expiration date, why are we so obsessed with finality? I think there are two parts to that. And one is just the old school paradigm. Like back in the day, there wasn't this mobility. And and so you kind of had to glorify whatever was the status quo, right? You don't want to think that this thing that you're having to do for 40 years isn't the glorified way to go. Okay, if I'm stuck at this bank for 40 years, then being stuck at a bank for 40 years is the, is the new awesome, right? And that just was what it was. And now, luckily, we're working away from that paradigm. But I think a lot of the older generation has the seven hills. I walked I walked seven miles uh, to school backwards in the snow every day mentality, and you will too. And I, I think there's that kind of collective pain that gets passed on a little bit. Like if, if I had to do this thing, then that's what you should be doing. And there's that, that kind of gloom and doom from the just, just it's, and it's hurt. It's just kind of like a, a trauma essentially from people having to stay in the same job for 40 years that they probably did not love for many of those 40 years. They might've evolved and thought like, why well, I'd, I'd love to go, go out and do this other passion that I have. But at the time that was not heard of. So they didn't do it. And so that, that, sentiment gets passed along. But luckily, I believe it's changing because the millennial statistics for how long they keep a job is nowhere near that. It's just now reframing what we think about that job hopping. Because if you move up, if you quit a job to move to a greater job, or say you're in a toxic, abusive relationship, and you quit it to move to something that's amazing, and and everybody finds those obvious, then nobody questions your quit. But when you quit those things and you don't have a obvious better thing that you're going to right now, suddenly it's like, oh no, what a quitter or, or people start to question your decision. But it's all just like you said in the, in the intro, it's all about reframing it because, and you also pointed out, we we're all quitters. We've all quit many things in our life. We are not probably still in the same city we were born in with our first boyfriend or girlfriend doing the first job we had at age 16, right? But so many of those are just seen as progressions and evolutions. Right. And okay, we're glad that you're not flipping burgers anymore now that you work at a bank, you know. But nobody's like, oh, you were a McDonald's quitter. You know, it's just, as long as it's an upgrade, society is is super happy for it. But then again, society is the one making the decision on whether it's an upgrade. And that's that's what I like to, to point out is that don't let society tell you what quit's going to be an upgrade. Let your body and your intuition tell you. Yes. Oh, my God. That's so true. Like, that would be a really fun assignment to look at every place in your life that you can reframe as a quit. Like, if you did an undergrad and you got your degree and then you moved on and you got a job and blah, blah, blah. Well, technically, you quit continuing doing school. That was a quit. You didn't think of it that way because it felt like completion and then you moved on. But really, you quit continuing school. Um, and you could have had the choice to keep going. So does that make mm-hmm. you a failure for quitting and going and finding a job? No, of course not. Duh. But like, why right. do we find these other things? And then like, it, it just, it, I think another thing going off of what you were just saying about our parents' generation and the generation before, I might be wrong, but it really feel like the millennial generation or around this age and then our parents, I feel like this is one of the most drastic 
um, uh, generation differences, like our parents yes. and us, like there are so many changes. So much has happened in the past 50 years, 30 years that has created an entirely new possibility of life for us that they never could have imagined and and many of our parents still don't they're they're not on social media they're not reading like I mean I know my parents aren't reading or watching much outside of Fox News so like they don't know much (laughs) more beyond what they have known their whole life and so their way of finding things out is typically through me and what I do and that's why I go do it and I don't ask them what do they think and then once I do it they're like wow that was cool like it's kind of an opportunity to teach them what's happening now so I don't I, there's this phrase of don't go to the hardware store for milk. And I think a lot of people need to get on board with that with our parents. A lot of people are still, even in your 30s, going and asking their parents, what do you think about this switch I'm doing? And if they say, no, that's stupid, stay at the same job, only companies like that, they'll hire you if you stay at the same job for seven years, nine years. Like, of course, they're going to say that. That's all they really yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And even if you don't ask and they find out and then they start to tell you what they think about your decision, um, coach Jason Goldberg, who was on my, on my podcast, he said, parents are either projecting or protecting, neither of which is your concern. Uh-huh. And it's very true, right? Oh, <laughs> They're just coming. Yeah. I loved that. And I will never forget it because they are, they are trying to protect based on their own paradigm that they think is what will be best for your life. But they Again, they grew up in a different paradigm and they don't know what's best for your life because they're not you. And they may just be more or less, probably less, risk averse than you are. And so they're like, okay, we better protect this person or project our own risk aversion onto you. Like, I would never do that. So maybe you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Neither of those are good reasons to not. And so like you said, it's best to inform your parents from a I love you, let me just tell you about my life than consulting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless, of course, you have super wise and totally. evolved parents and they're, they're going to give you great advice. But if you feel as though they don't necessarily know where you're coming from or the world you're living in, then exactly what you said. Go go get advice from somebody who does. Yeah. Like another example, my, my dad will message me. Both my parents will message me all the time whenever anything bad happens in any country. They always message me and say, thank God you're not in Paris. Thank God you're not in Costa Rica. Like I got a text, I think, two days ago when my dad said, so much for Costa Rica being safe. Sheesh. And then he sent me like a link of someone went missing like yeah. one person went missing and one like, person like I, you know how many people go missing in every city that you're already in I know and of day. course like I of course it was like a young blonde and like that's what makes yep. the news and that that terrifies him and then he sends it to me and then you know the 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 little rebellion in me kind of went like hey like so many deaths happen in America every day what do you know yep. blah, blah, blah. and then like I just have to rein it in and be like dad I understand but Costa Rica is very safe like this kind of stuff happens all the time and of course it's in the news like then just move on I don't try to change him because I know this is probably going to be forever and he the the best that can happen is that he just understands I'm a world traveler always will be and you know things happen all the time but yes yeah can you can I touch on that real (laughs) quickly you brought up a great point I talk about quitting parts of your relationships with family members and it can go all the way from you don't see them, you don't talk to them, drastic cut off if that needs to be. But there are a lot of little quits that can improve your relationship with family members. And you just brought one up. 
and I don't know that you ever tried to change him, but quit trying to change your parents or quit really even bothering to engage in that discussion. Like you would have been engaging had you said, no, dad, this is America has these, uh, these amount of disappearances. These are our crime statistics. And then you get into this back and forth. It's probably just exhausting and he's not going to change his mind very likely. And you have realized it's more important to just preserve the relationship, say, it's all right. I, you know, I'm still going to do my traveling. You don't got it. You, you didn't get into a big back and forth with him. And that's something that I have done with my own father. I don't hang out with him in person. I don't get anywhere near political topics. We can text back and forth. We occasionally have a phone call, but I know what parts of my relationship with family members are healthy for me and which parts aren't. And quitting the parts that aren't, I think will help a lot of people with what could be potentially toxic family relationships. Mm. Yes. And yeah, I totally used to try to change my dad all the time. <laughs> Me and my dad are very different in a lot of ways. And then in our and some of our um, some of our qualities are very similar in like the way that I speak sometimes. And I've had to certainly look at what he does and what I don't want to do anymore. And I just thought it was always the way to be. Um, and yeah, it's just it's really it was a really beautiful moment when I realized I no longer wanted to change him because then I could just appreciate one appreciate him for how he is like I never know what what the day is going to bring something tragic could happen I don't want to spend all of these years trying to force something that's definitely not going to happen especially me I'm not like I'm if anyone is going to influence him in a different way or any of my family members it's probably not going to be me like they're not asking for it from me like that's one of the key things for change is you have to ask for it no one's asking you for change they're not open to doing it so don't put it on them because it's going to make them want to rebel I'm the same way do not give me advice on how to be unless I ask for it um and so one you can appreciate them for how they are and then two like you're saying you can adapt to what feels good for you so if it means if you if you're going to be accepting someone for how they are and that you're you're good with that and you're ready to move forward that also might mean some other things need to change how often you talk how you communicate um you know me and my dad went through a period where we decided we'd only have phone calls because text was getting too explosive with both of us being fire signs in Ah. astrology we were both like hey let's do phone calls because we're really really peaceful that way and it was awesome and then now we're back to texting because we're pretty chill yeah that's awesome yeah you can make different rules and i love that you brought up that there are different quits for family members so i want to go into a strategic quit what is that it's a quit that you have intentionally thought out planned and executed and by the the first steps are that you realize that something needs to go and it may be obvious to you and it may not be it may be as obvious as okay every time I walk into like for me and my fellowship every time I walk into the clinic my heart rate just shoots through the roof that is a pretty obvious sign that something around work needed to go for other people it may just be this kind of drifting feeling or this discontent or like you were talking about insomnia or anxiety or panic attacks, your body is not going to lie to you. Your mind can lie to you all the time. It's it's what makes you want feel like you want to quote unquote give up, which is different from strategic quitting completely. Like, oh, this is kind of hard, man. I just want to give up. That's your mind just playing its usual little mind mind games with you. But your body is your best friend. It is not going to play games. It knows what is and is not in alignment with you. And so if you're checking in with your body, What's making you happy and unhappy? What's bringing you joy versus friction? Then you take the look at the friction areas and then you narrow it down. Okay, I've decided it's my job, but is it just my boss? Is it the kind of work I'm doing? Is it the company culture or is it the commute? Because there are very different ways you can quit those in those different areas. And then from there, if it's 
a more major quit, you may have to overcome a lot of fears that pop up. Like I discussed before, that sunk, call, sunk cost fallacy may keep people think, thinking like, oh, how can I leave this? I've I've invested, or if they think I've wasted so much time or money into this career, if I leave, then it's wasted, or in, in this relationship, if I leave, then what happens to that two years Steve and I spent together? And so you have to address and overcome those fears. And then if required, you have to prepare logistics. If you're just quitting a mindset, there aren't probably a lot of logistical concerns, but if you're quitting a job or a relationship where money is an issue, then you need to get your finances, your health, and your relationships in order for that quit. Think about if you're trying to do the side hustle thing, your family can either be your biggest support or they can be the biggest drawback if they're like, mom, mom, you don't spend any time with us anymore or your your romantic partner's like, but I, I never see you anymore. You need to get them on board beforehand so that they can be part of your team and, and just in fairness to them as well. Like if it's not a unilateral decision, then please get them on board. And then after you prepare all those logistics, the last step is enacting the quit in the way that burns the fewest bridges and preserves relationships as best as possible. Oh, I love that last one. That's great. <laughs> That's a great one to mention. Do you, which one do you find if any of these people get the most stuck at? Like it's the, it can often, if you do not persevere through the step, it can often block the quit from ever happening. The fears, somewhere between the esoteric fears and the preparing finances portion. And the preparing finances can just take a long time. So it's not necessarily that they're stalled out in it, but it just takes a long time to prepare your finances. But a lot of people get stuck back in the fears category. And frankly, that's lucky for them because if the only thing holding you back is your own self-talk, that can be easily undone. Maybe not easily undone, but simply undone <laughs> with with some logic. Most of the fears that are behind people feeling stuck and staying, they can either be dealt with with just pointing out like, okay, the sunk cost fallacy is a fallacy, or you can do the Tim Ferriss fear setting exercise, which helps you diminish whatever fears it may be. Because mostly it's fear of the unknown, right? In almost every category, it boils down to fear of the unknown. And if you do the whole so what thing, like, okay, I'm afraid of this. Well, so what? If you do that all the way back, it's generally the fear of death somehow, right? Okay, if I, if I leave this job, I might not find another job. Okay, so what? Well, if I don't find another job, I'll be homeless. Well, so what? Well, if mm. I'm homeless, I might, I might die on the street, right? It all kinds of ends up to there. So with fear setting, you take a look at like, how likely is it that you'll never find another job? Okay, and if you don't, what's your backup plan? And then you end up taking what was this big, scary, unknown monster and taming it. This homeless thing, I find is so prevalent and it's like a huge fear is homelessness and like I was talking to my my partner about this the other day I was talking to a client about this I was talking to someone else and it all like death I think is the deeper one because if you're homeless you end up starving or freezing and then you yeah. die but I think a lot of people stop at the homelessness like the homelessness is such a big fear and what I struggle with as a coach when I'm working through these fears with people and I think me and you are kind of similar in this way Lynn like I I am of course afraid of the unknown, but I think for me it's a little bit easier to just do it anyways. It always has been, and maybe yeah. that's because I've been privileged to have a, a very strong family unit, people that have my back and love me. Um, maybe it's because I have really amazing mentors. So I'm not saying I've done it all on my own. I was just born this way, but there's definitely part of me that was born this way of just being able yeah. to. I'm going to try it out and see what happens, and that's what's kind of gotten me to where I am today. But 
for some people, logic isn't enough. Like just logically doing the, so what then? So what then? Or it might be enough in that single moment, but then like five minutes later, they're cooking dinner and the monkey mind starts again. Right. So how do you really like let it sink in? Like, like, do you need to do the logic piece over and over and over and write it out and do a vision board and look at it and read it? Like what (laughs) do you need to do for some people who really struggle with the logic piece being enough? Well, there may be something deeper. If the logic isn't working over and over, you're hitting with the logic hammer not working, one of two things may be happening. First off, they may have a limiting belief or a mindset that they need to quit first before quitting the other thing. And if that limiting belief is, um, I won't be loved if I'm not financially successful, then it's going to be really hard to get somebody to make that leap where they may at least temporarily not be financially successful. So then you have to do the quit behind the quit, which is, okay, let's examine that belief. And how do we unravel that belief? And I am not saying that even as a coach, I can unravel all of these. Like some people may have lifelong traumas that a therapist needs to delve into, but it's generally that something is keeping them back in that area. Or they may feel as though, okay, I'm stuck in the quit, um, in the fears, but the real fear is because whatever they're quitting has become their identity. And that in and of itself, it's hard for some people to pinpoint, but the prospect of losing your identity is massive. And if they have not diversified their identity, it may be just overwhelming. And so they'll find something else that they're pinning it on. Like, oh, people won't approve of me. But in the end, it's that they wouldn't approve of themselves because they wouldn't know who they were anymore without that identity. So I generally think it's one of those two things is behind the, is working behind the scenes if logic isn't doing its job. Mm hmm. I love that you pointed this out. Yes. So true. Um, and then it goes back to like the the ego and like the ego finding mm-hmm. a lot of satisfaction in being really good at something. Yes, that's a definitely. huge, huge thing. Like being good at something. Again, this is like that's, I'm so glad we're talking just because this has been something that's been popping up like. I've been hearing from people like, I really want to switch my career. I really want to do something else, but I'm really good at this thing. It's like almost a curse to be so good at something yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, why is that a handcuff? Like, oh, your, your your reward for having developed lots of skills is to be handcuffed to this thing you don't like doing. No, that's <laughs> yay, you have these skills. Now let's find another way to redirect them. Because, for example, if like we were talking about our generation versus our parents, the amount of job titles we can have is just infin- in, infinitely higher because Back in the day, you didn't have banker slash podcaster. You just had banker, right? But now you can add slash podcaster, slash YouTuber, slash blogger, any of these extra things you can add to it. So if somebody's like, I don't want to leave my job in PR because I really am good at doing on-camera interviews. Great. Do on-camera interviews for your Etsy channel. You know, like you can take those skills and re redirect them to something that's going to make you a lot happier. You don't have to throw the skills out just because you're, you're not liking the current job just use a little creativity to find ways that those skills can work better for you. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And like when you really look at it that way, the thing that you like you are identifying with in the position, let's say um, banker, like it's not the banker label that you're that makes you a good banker or like the actual job title. That's not what you are good at. Really what you're probably very good at is much um, 
it's much deeper than that. It's like you're really good with with uh, patience, with numbers, like patience. Like yeah. that's the deeper quality. You, you, you have a lot of patience or you're really great with people. Um, your, your brain works really well with logic and structure. And like all those things can be applied to so many other jobs. And thank yeah. goodness for you being a great banker because now you know that you're really good at those skills. And what else excites you that you want to put those skills into? Yes, absolutely. When people are looking to make a career transition, I say write out your ideal day, but don't write what your job title is. Just write what characteristics it has, which is, okay, are you working from home? Are you working from an office? And then, like you said, what skills are you using in that job? Because it may be very hard for people who don't like their career just have just imagine, okay, I know this career is going to be better. But it's much easier to say these parts of my job I like these parts of my job I'm good at, these parts I do not like and do not want to do anymore, and these parts I am not good at, and then create a picture of the characteristics of your job, and then maybe the job itself can eventually manifest when you know what you're looking for. Mm, yeah. Never underestimate the power of that clarity. Like, simply being cl- like, sometimes it doesn't feel like enough to people because we think in these black and white terms, like, must know what I want to do, exact thing I want to want to do. But what if you just think about the qualities and characteristics and you really get into that juicy energy that you want to have in your day-to-day life rather than finding out the exact thing leaves so much more room for the universe to be like, ta-da, here it is. And yes. like, it feels less stifling. Like you don't, ha- you don't have to know exactly what it is you want to go towards. Sometimes it's just about the energy. Like I know I want to be living in a van now or I want to be more free. I want to be mobile. That's what it is yes. about the van thing. I want to be mobile. I want to be, I want to have less things so I don't want to feel cluttered. So maybe that means you want to have something very min- minimalistic. You want to work from your computer. Maybe you want to have your voice be really heard. So that could lead you into doing your own thing or getting up on a stage. Like you don't know. And it's okay not to know. And I think that's where all your other steps to the strategic quit can come into play because you can work on those things by planning things out as you let the universe get prepared to bring you what it is you might want to do next. That's absolutely correct. You will know if you are going down the right quitting path because the second that you go through step one and you've like identified, I know I need to make this quit and I'm going to take an inventory of the feeling that you have because you'll probably feel this weight be lifted instantly. And once you've got that slight bump in your health, you know, from whatever weight is lifted, Mm -hmm. then use that energy to just play for a while. You know you're going to quit. You're going to have to take some time to prepare your finances, health relationships anyway. So take that time to start doing things you love so that you can start gathering things on that what I'm good to, what I'm good at doing and what I love to do mm-hmm. list and and re and restore your health in the process. And then by the time like you said that you've gone through the steps and you've made the preparations, the universe may have done a much better job if you've given it some some guidelines at at revealing that job to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I want to hear about maybe one of your more more recent strategic quits. Do you have anything coming up for you that you went through recently? I strategically quit capoeira. I was doing this Brazilian martial oh, art for seven no years. Capoeira. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think I said I think, that wrong, but I know that. That's okay, but I do recall you and I had a Facebook interaction about capoeira. You said, where can I do it in Denver? And so I found you a spot. Oh, that's Th- right. That was also me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's so Um, funny. I'm like, I know this face. I've seen this face many times on many many messages. Yeah, I love it. Yes, because I mean, capoeiristas were a small, passionate tribe, so we know generally how to find each other. Um, So it's a Brazilian martial art I had done for seven years, and when I got into it, I was very frail, and I was, I mean weak. I didn't look weak, but I hadn't done a sit up in like 17 years. I had just done, you know, cardio or whatever, but. 
I get into capoeira, which is a martial art. There's a lot of dance element to it, but there are takedowns and there are kicks. And I was super frightened of this. And so I went from somebody who like did not want to be doing a martial art at all to seven years later, somebody who could kick and take other people down. And I felt nice and strong. But a lot of the reasons that I had started capoeira were no longer present. And so the benefits were no longer outweighing the friction. And the friction was just that it's a hierarchical system. There are like chord levels, just like karate and other martial arts. And I don't really believe in hierarchies if I can avoid them. I don't dive into them on purpose, generally. And it was because it was not just a workout, it was like a lifestyle and a group you were participating in, you were supposed to come every week, at least once, probably twice, better if you went three times. And it was taking up so much mental space, the should involved, like I should be going to this thing so many times. I don't believe in shoulds. I try to avoid shoulds at all costs. So here I was like participating in a should and a hierarchy, <laughs> neither of which are my jam. And I, I stopped and thought like, wow, the reasons I started aren't present anymore. What is present is friction. And I still love the martial art, but I did not want to be training it full time because I realized it's causing me a lot more anxiety and stress than joy that it's bringing. And I was having to quit an identity there because in my book, on the chapter on identity, it specifically says, I can't imagine ever quitting capoeira. But if I do, and then it outlies, like I have all these other identities. So it's not suddenly I don't know who I am. And so when I went to make that quit, you know, just read my own book, like you, you already have these other identities. It's fine. You can always be a capoeirista at heart. Like most things that you're quitting, you can still probably be at heart. Like if somebody walks up to me and starts like doing the capoeira move in my general direction, I can respond and still play. But I'm not, you know, this daily ninja that I kind of was before. And it's okay. And in the second that I thought about quitting it, it was just this big weight just disappeared. Oh. And so I knew it was the right move to make. How long ago was this? August of this August. year. So okay. So now it's been a bit of time. Ago. Yes. And how do you feel now? Oh, amazing. The sec that's the thing. Is you and I were, you know, as you mentioned a minute ago, like, I think you and I probably have quitting as, as our superpower somewhere. And because it's just easier, yeah. like we don't necessarily get stuck in some of these steps. And so for me, the second that I made the decision and the weight was lifted, there's no looking back. Like that's how I know I've made the perfect quit is like the second I looked back at, at the thought of training, I had to go back to the group the other day to like deliver some of my book they had bought. Um, I was like, man, I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. Like just, just, you know, with anything that you love, there are going to be parts that you don't love. And like at the end of every class, we'd have to sit there for a while, like while the teachers said things. And I would always just get so antsy, like I want to go shower, I want to go eat. And I, when I went to drop off the book, they were sitting there for like 10 minutes. And all those 10 minutes, I'm just like, I have made the best decision. Like, I'm so glad that I've listened to my intuition and started, started taking away the shoulds. Because what I realized is the same period of time, I was really ramping up my business and I don't have a business background. So doing business things was a challenge. And I was like, oh, I don't need the challenge of capoeira and the challenge of a business. If I got into it initially because I needed a challenge in capoeira, that has been replaced. And mm. I don't need two, two simultaneous challenges tearing at my adrenals, really. So yes. <laughs> let's focus on one. That's so important that sometimes we go into certain activities because we're lacking like something in our life we really want from it. Like maybe community like it for you it was yes. challenge you want a challenge you got challenge elsewhere and so like now your challenge is there and so you can't be doing these two things and sometimes it's community like that's really present for me community and touch and maybe at one point I go into something where I can get a lot of community and touch from it but then later like I have maybe like it, I'm kind of speaking vague here but I'm going through something myself right now uh specifically with acro yoga 
Yeah. And so you're speaking to my soul in this yes. moment. Like <laughs> I I like have been this acro yoga obsessive like just every single day all the time and I have a lot of shoulds right now and I realized something probably two days ago about how it's the level of acro I'm consistently in my mind every day like I need to do acro and I had this realization that I went into it really for a lot of physical touch I have this with my boyfriend who I'm with all the time and I love it I went into it because I really wanted community and I really wanted to have these new open people perspectives well I have that surrounding me all the time when I go to kundalini and yoga and like the the physical stretch and what I put my body through in in acro when I was getting to the advanced level it's no longer feeling desirable to me and and yet I'm still making myself go so much or even not even going but mentally I'm like I should go today and I'm not physically there I go like once every two weeks but every day mentally I'm there and I yeah. just realized like, wow, I, it's really scary. It's very scary for me to imagine kind of letting go of it. And so you talking about this is like a huge sign to me of like, it's okay. <sighs> and I felt two days ago when I had this realization, like a really big relief. And then I was like, sad. There's like a period of mourning because yeah. I'm sure you felt the same way. You're really good at it and it makes you strong. And there are so many beautiful things about it, but when the friction is outweighing that yes. you have to listen to your body oh I, I wanted to say this on on my episode because i loved it when you said this on josh's episode um you said that the body will whisper before it's yelling or screaming yes oh yes yeah and like that's i'm sure what happened with capoeira and then me with yes. acro yeah i love that you brought that up because what you and i have both just outlined is there are two things one your strategic quit doesn't have to be a job or relationship. You can strategically quit something that was giving you a ton of pleasure. Mm. It could be your hobby and it could still make a big difference. Like most people think, oh, you know, Limnery just talks about quitting these huge things. Uh, once I quit cooking, I mean, I quit cooking. I have never gone back to cooking. That made a huge <laughs> difference. That's not a job or a relationship. I quit capoeira. I have quit uh, yoga memberships because having to go a certain number of times a month to make the membership worth it was giving me more stress oh than yoga God. was relieving. I did that the other day. Yes. I called the Acro Studio and I said, you know what? I signed it for a month. I don't think I can do it for a whole month. It's so yes. funny. We're like, oh my God, we're like quit twins. I love it. I love it because in your story, two other things is that the mental space that that thing takes up. When I quit Capoeira, I was only going like an hour and a half a week. And somebody said to me like, man, you must have a bunch more time now. And I thought like comically, I really only have an hour and a half more of time. And I'm sure I now spend it doing some other exercise. However, the mental should space was taking up so much space Mm -hmm. in my brain of everyday thinking, oh, I should go to Capoeira. Like that's a negative thought every day and a should and a you're not doing a thing. You're not enough at this. Oh my goodness. Like the, the second that I cleared out those should same thing with your acro I should be training like we are not should people you know and look in your life where the shoulds are popping up and whether or not those are shoulds you are benefiting from and at some point it was and it's for both of us and when that's no longer the case man free yourself of the shoulds (laughs) seriously seriously like every time I'm in a class now I not that it's like I'm not saying I'm I want to let go of going so much or going at all to be honest um because there's like simple acro that I absolutely adore and love but the advanced level that I'm training I was training at I'm just my attitude is shit like when I'm in there I don't want to communicate with people I don't want to talk about how to make a move work I don't want to get I give up easily and like 
I'm beating myself up the whole time I'm there. And it's not because I'm beating myself in, up in a way like, be kinder to yourself and keep doing it. It's like I'm doing it because I'm beating myself up because I don't want to be there. And so my right. attitude is bad. Not because I'm just being hard on myself. It's actually because I don't want to be there. Yeah. And, it's and that's huge. a huge thing to tune into. Exactly. Like when Capoeira, I started going there and feeling like really irritated if the music wasn't going right because we do it to music. And I was like, man, I never used to be irritated at Capoeira before. What's happening? So yeah, check in with your attitude. If, if nothing else, Ugh. what's changed? Okay, maybe this isn't serving you because why is your body reacting? And your attitude is part of your body. Why is it reacting so strongly? This is so, so much gold. I'm so glad we went into that. So before we go into the divine deep dive round, can you please let everyone know first where they can find you? And secondly, anything that you're up to, any offers that they should know about? Absolutely. I don't exactly know when this when this is coming out. So I hope it's that coming out office- on Wednesday. It's upcoming oh, Wednesday. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Then everything <laughs> will still be will still be current. You can find me at quittingbydesign.com and you can find me on all the socials at quitting by design, except for Twitter. I'm quit happens. I don't know if anybody twitters tweets. <laughs> but uh, I also have a YouTube channel, Quitting by Design. However, I'm oh, and I have a book. Let me be better at this. I have a book called Quitting by Design as well that that I kind of alluded to. You can find that on Amazon. And I have a podcast called Quit Happens. And those are all great places to start. And if you'd like a slightly deeper dive, I am starting an online course in January called Make Quit Happen in 2019. Six-week course where we'll we'll take, go through each of the steps of a strategic quit that I talked about. And then we'll have two or three live calls, probably three live calls with me in the group. And if they're in the San Diego area, I'm doing a Make Quit Happen Live January 12th and 13th in Encinitas where we'll do the same. We're going for, for 10 to 5, two days, Saturday, Sunday, we'll be diving into everybody's unique quits. There'll be group work and individual work and, and by the time you leave, they will have a plan for what they need to quit and how to do it. This is so juicy and there's a teeny tiny chance I might be in Encinitas then. Possibly. No way. Yeah. That would be amazing. We're leaving New York the first week of January and we're going to LA and our plan was like, let's be in LA for the month until we go to Denver for this event that I have. And uh, and, and then he was like, well, how about we go to San Diego for a bit? So it's in the ah. air. So I'll let you know. Oh, well, yeah. please. I would love to meet up. And yes. otherwise, I will have all those links on the show notes for this episode, of course. This is episode 234. And now it is time for the divine deep dive round. So whatever comes to your head first. Okay. All right. Who would you consider to be one of your teachers? Teachers. Tulsi Gabbard. Do you know who she is? Most people don't. don't (laughs) She is is a congresswoman from Hawaii who happens to also do capoeira. And And her ability to stay balanced. She's in a very contentious political climate. She can generally keep her head about her. Every once in a while, she'll be feisty when she needs to be feisty. You can tell that she just oozes deep caring for the people she's helping. And she's pulling it all off with just style and this polymath nature where you'll see her one day in her, she's in the National Guard. She used to be, I think she's in the, well, no, no, maybe she's just in the reserves because she used to be active military. Like she's just a badass on so many levels. And yet I'll see her on an Instagram story walking through the airport singing Bob Marley. And I love the, yeah, I mean, she's just incredible. I think she's even younger than I am. She's accomplished all these things. And I met her in person and she was nicer in person than she is, like, than you could even have imagined. And it's just great to see examples of people that are encompassing all these different areas and still serving in in a really deep way. If we want to learn more about her, is there a specific place we should go to, like her Instagram? Or does she have a certain YouTube video that's really special or anything like that? 
go to her Instagram, you will love her instantly. It's Tulsi Gabbard, okay, I believe. Awesome. And and she is in, I don't, I mean, there's Tulsi 2020. People would love to have her run for president. I would love to have oh, her run for president. Amazing. Yeah, she's just incredible. Just go through her Instagram feed for like a day or two and try to not love Tulsi Gabbard. Okay, I'm excited. I'm gonna do it after this. Yay. Nice. Okay. Um, what do you want to be praised for more than anything? For freeing people, for giving per- people permission to get unstuck and stop settling, for bringing the movement of destigmatizing de- quitting to the people because quitters do win all the time and it's a new paradigm and people need to realize that if you aren't quitting, you're not evolving, mm. you're not transforming. You should not be proud of living a life where you did not one time quit. You stuck with whatever you chose at day one and no matter how you evolved or changed or whatever, you're like, no, I'm going to hold on to this relationship no matter how toxic. I'm going to hold on to this job how, no matter how much it isn't working for me. I'm going to hold on to this acro yoga membership even though it's killing me. Don't do it. Free yourself. Get rid of the shoulds. Realize that quitting is a generous act. If you don't want to be at acro or you don't want to be at your job or in your relationship but you're staying, are you doing the other side of that equation any favors? No, you're not. And I believe if people weren't always going to jobs they hated or going from their job back to relationships that aren't working for them, there would be a lot less road rage and just overall anger and angst in society if people could just get the permission to free themselves and go on to what's going to work better for them. Yes. Amen. I love that. If you're not quitting, you're not evolving. I wrote that down. So good. (laughs) What is one book that's changed your life? I, I don't want to be a cliche person who says you are a badass, but it's no, it's true. one of the first books that essentially was just like, just yeah, make things happen. You can make things happen. And I've grown up making things happen. So there's plenty of evidence that I can continue to do so. But it was just kind of refreshing both. Well, the reason also probably changed my life is in a slightly different way. As an author myself, it was lovely to see somebody put information out in the most cavalier way that just oozed her and so when my mom read my book she's like I can just read your voice reading you know saying all these words I didn't feel like I have to speak in a certain voice when I'm giving quote-unquote you know helpful information or when I'm giving advice I can be me I can bring me to everything I do and it's going to be more impactful than me trying to follow some mold and then give advice no if they're trying to follow advice that I think is is valuable and that I've learned from my own life give it as myself and I think that's why what you are a badass showed me. So not only just the, the content of it, but the style helped. Okay. And then I'll pick two more questions. If you could live anywhere in the world besides currently where you have home, where would it be? Madrid. And what's your morning routine? Ooh. As we mentioned, my buddy Josh and I are trying to scale back my morning routine because it was hilariously taking like five hours. And that's not that's a little overkill. I... I cut out intermittent fasting. We didn't even get into this, but I cut out intermittent fasting because it was it was bordering on the orthorexic and actually just hurting my fitness situation. And so you talked take, about this a bit on Josh's, right? If anyone yes. wants to hear more on that, they can go listen to that one because that was, yeah. I remember y'all getting into that. Yes. Yeah. I, that used to be part of my morning routine. But now I get up and I do some uh, foam rolling type mobility work also with something called a roll flex. I work on a few different joints, roll out my back, then I do some breath work, I have some greens juice, do a little meditation, and then I go work out. And I try to remember to journal every morning of everything that that might get the shaft. And then I come back and I sit in my little personal sauna for 20 minutes and that's when I try to do some reading. 
of, of something that's a little bit inspirational for the day. Mm, that sounds great. I like that morning routine. Thank you. It's a little bit more than what I do, but I love it. Inspiring. Again, we're working on cutting it back. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, I was doing my morning routine. And it was suddenly one o'clock. I'm like, this is like a half day routine. Hey, and it I... feels good. That's the amazing thing about doing your own stuff. Like you can create whatever kind of day you want. It's very true. You are incredible. I knew this was going to be a really fun episode, but like, I just really want to be like good friends with you. Like, I feel like we would have so much fun together. Likewise, come to San Diego and I will I will find a way to find wherever you have located for the for the month. Totally. That'd be so much fun. We could all hang out, me, you, and Josh. That'd be like a dream come true. That'd oh, so that'd fun. be amazing. Yes. But in the meantime, everyone listening to this episode, 234 with Dr. Lynn Marie Morsky, go head on over to the show notes for this episode. You can check out all the links that she mentioned and her um, upcoming program and her live and all the amazing things she's up to. Definitely her book. And please let us know your thoughts. Leave a review on the iTunes show or comment on the phone photo for this episode on my Instagram. Email us. Let us know what you loved. How are you going to implement quitting into your life? And we will catch you for another episode next week. 